Travia, you won't believe what happened this weekend. Let me guess, Team Europe won again? No, what? That's a given. I tried Olive Garden for the first time. Ooh, how was it? Well, I made sure not to order breadsticks like Team World did. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Shravya and Josefina. Josefina and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Shravya and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. We're back with another episode of Hold On To Your Racket. Today's episode is episode 74, and it is September 27th. And actually, until about the middle of the day, I thought it was October 1st. So (laughs) now that that's cleared up, I can give you the correct date information. So Yeah. yeah, clearly podcasting and going to school at the same time kind of messes with our brains a little bit. Exactly. Um, But now we get to you know, talk some tennis. Um, We were going to start off with some hot headlines. There were a few different hot headlines this week, um, but our first one was kind of this conversation that happened, or the statement that Riley Opelka made, um, mentioning Alexander Zverev's abuse, uh, domestic abuse allegations at the Labor Cup. So this was after their doubles match so John Isner and Denis Shapoval by there I mean team world so John Isner and Denis Shapoval defeated Alexander Zverev and Matteo Berrettini 4-6-7-6-10-1 and sort of in the spirit of trash talk not really you know the nicest or most necessary thing to say but Zverev right after the match said that this was the last point or like win that team world was going to be getting against team Europe that weekend and after that Team World overheard this comment. So John McEnroe, who's the Team World coach, said, F this guy. Isner said, he said that? F him, referring to Zverev. And then Diego Schwartzman said, he said that's the last point we're going to win. And then Riley Opelka said, he also said he's innocent, meaning Zverev again, regarding um, Olya Sharapova's abuse allegations against him. And then McEnroe responded with, yeah, good point. So we kind of want to unpack a little bit of what we think about Riley Opelka saying this, what people were saying about um, Riley Opelka making this statement, but kind of just, you know, digging into this further because this is, aside from Andy Murray's comments and some things that, you know, a few other players have said about Zverev in this, like Federer was asked about this and we talked about that a few months ago. This is like the first time we're seeing it really come up in conversation so casually. Yeah, so actually it turned out that Team World didn't win another point, and there were five whole matches left. But, like, discussing the specifics of the score will come in later in Tennis Cock, of course. But my point with this is that people, like very, very dumb people, seem to think that the fact that Team World didn't snag another point relates directly to the validity of Opelka's statement, which is, like, absolute blasphemy because... It just makes no sense. They're completely different situations. And that's our point, that it's good that he mentioned it and that we're once again hearing about it in tennis media because of him. But, I mean, Opelka was just not cautious of the risks 
of not being taken seriously since he said it in a mostly joking manner and the fact that in the end after not winning after team world didn't get another point it actually messed up what he was trying to say so it's just it turned out pretty lame but i know it's not that he meant well either he just said it in the spirit of competition when really it should be said in the spirit of um standing up against Alexander Zverev, who should not be playing on tour right now, especially at the Labor Cup, which is not even part of the tour. So they should have taken matters into their own hands, and yet he's still here competing and thriving. Especially since the Labor Cup, the Geneva Labor Cup, is where Olia said that one of the most serious incidents happened. Aside from that, Opelka's comment also kind of sounded a little bit like locker room talk, which was a little bit unnerving to hear sometimes, like just like seeing it so casually thrown out there. But Again, the bar is so low that making a joke of this situation is the most we've seen any ATP player, aside from Murray, say in terms of, like, standing against Zverev about this situation. And I think Ben Rothenberg said something. We really do quote Ben Rothenberg's tweets a lot, but he kind of puts it into a good perspective in this case, where he said, quote, more journalists need to be pressing players on this subject because, quite frankly, none of them seem to want to speak out about it on their own need to push them if the tennis world wants to hold Zverev accountable and see change. So overall, as Josefina was saying, like in the long run, I would say it was good that whatever Opelka said kind of brought this issue into the forefront and like especially coming from an ATP player, but also the fact that it was said as a joke and that we still haven't seen any of them take an actual stand against it is really disappointing. And I think at this point, they're not going to speak out on their own unprompted. So it really is down to, you know, people, journalists and press conferences pushing these players because clearly not all of them hold the opinion that Zverev is totally in the right. Yeah, and the only reason that it was spoken about really is because Opelka said it on his own terms. And like, for example, there it's never really addressed directly like Ben Rothenberg said, by journalists in the tennis world and that's really the point that everyone's avoiding and tiptoeing around this topic when really we should just be holding this player accountable and any other player that has been accused of domestic violence or abuse so next up we have some more hot headlines first one being kim kleisters is returning to competition dot 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 again This must be like the third or fourth time that she's been coming back. So she's going to be playing in the Chicago Fall Tennis Classic. It's a WTA 500 event, and she actually received a wild card into this. But she lost in three sets today to Shea Suwei. I mean, we stand Shea Suwei. We love her so much. But, um, I mean, it's great to see Kim Kleister's back. (laughs) Yeah, she actually said that Andy Murray's um, comeback is kind of what's inspiring her. So it's great to see some of these legends kind of coming back and making some inroads here. And as far as sort of more, I guess you could say, in the theme of transitions on tour, um, we have a couple of WTA coaching splits. So Simona Halep and Darren Cahill have been are splitting now after six years of working together, and they had a really close relationship. So that's obviously, if they're choosing to split if with that close of a relationship, 
obviously probably for the best. And then Emma Raducanu and Andrew Richardson, who was her coach with her throughout the U.S. Open, um, are also splitting. And Raducanu said that she's looking for someone with more pro-level experience. So we can see that she's sort of really taking initiative after, you know, Wimbledon and U.S. Open success. And I feel like it's a pretty mature decision to kind of split up with someone who you've been with um, throughout your, like, biggest success in tennis so far um to want someone with a little bit more experience so we'll see how that plays out yeah and then another thing is that rafael nadal is opening a restaurant so it's called to tell experience and he's opening it in beverly hills out of all places i mean i would have expected him to open it in like mallorca but um he's not doing that but it's definitely on our bucket list now we have to go someday please so Lastly, I mean, on the topic of Rafa, no, I'm kidding. So lastly, we have some Roger Federer updates. So he actually, because he posted, like, he's been posting stuff on social media, letting fans know, updating us on how he's feeling, how it's going. So he said his knee is feeling a lot better and that his rehab is going well. And he's planning on playing the next season, he said. He said, the worst is behind me. I'm looking forward to all that is coming up. So he's looking to start conditioning soon, which is amazing. And he said, when you come back from an injury, every day is a better day, an exciting time. It's not a problem mentally. And then also he said about um, Labor Cup next year is that it's one of my goals that I really get back into it, into it in order to come back and play there. So definitely some positive news. He definitely talked about how he kind of rushed into it when it came to Wimbledon. I mean, the fact that he was injured and made it to the quarterfinals like I know it's Roger Federer but quarterfinals at Wimbledon the fact that that was like a quote easy feat for him I think that's still great for him but um still we'd like him to take his time now so that we can enjoy him for longer mm-hmm. and in a separate GQ interview he actually had some pretty interesting thoughts to say about two of you know tennis's, tennis's current most you know big stars, young stars, Emma Raducanu and Naomi Osaka, kind of talking about what we've talked about a lot on the podcast about the pressure put on really young athletes and tennis players in this age, um, where kind of social media and the press is like a huge topic of discussion. So Federer said about Raducanu and Osaka, quote, it's been amazing, both of their stories, but it hurts when you see what happens and when they don't feel well. The stress is so great, and I think a lot has to be down to social media. And then he kind of shifted gears into talking about the press in the same topic of um, Emma and Naomi. And he actually was agreeing with Osaka's sentiments that she's expressed about kind of press conferences before. And Federer said the press situation does need to be reconsidered. I think players, the tournaments, journalists, we need to sit down together in a room and go, okay, what would work for you and what works for us? We need a revolution or at least an evolution of where we are today. The man is poetic. Um, Oh, my God. I love this man so much. (laughs) I also think it's, like, really, someone like him speaking out about this is going to work, wonder, like, wonders, yeah. I hope, because of that platform that he has. So I really do hope that what he says is going to, you know, hopefully spark, spark some change. And that idea about, like, just getting everyone to talk together and make some guidelines, um, I think, is something that a lot of people would agree with and is shouldn't be that, like, difficult to initiate. Of course, it's, like, 
a little disappointing that after everything that's happened, especially with Naomi Osaka speaking out about it so much, we still expect this little statement from Roger Federer to somehow make a bigger impact than that, even though she's been constantly standing up for that and mental Mm -hmm. health in the sport and its importance. Mm -hmm. But still, we'll take what we can get on the topic, I guess, and it's good that he's supporting this. Yeah. Then I think something kind of poignant he said at the end was, I think we do need to help coach and mentor the younger generation. I can't imagine going through the beginning of my career with social media. I have no clue how I would have handled it. We need to remember that tennis players are athletes and professionals, but we are also human too. So I think he's acknowledging the fact that he didn't grow up with those same situations. And this is like, this is something we were talking about in our U.S. Open recap episode, actually, about, you know, Emma and the new pressure put on her. Um, so kind of becoming this quote-unquote sensation. So I think that's something to be cautious of when we kind of are observing how people like Emma, Layla, Naomi kind of evolve in the limelight. Because let's be frank, that same pressure is not put on the guys, the young guys, as yeah, much as it is put on sure. the young women. So now, onto the tennis, even if it may be the less um, kind of interesting part this time. So first up, we have the Astana Open, which is an ATP 250 held in Nur Sultan, Kazakhstan. And the defending champion was actually John Millman in 2020. But Sun Wu Kwan defeated James Duckworth 7-6-6-3. So this is his maiden title. He is the ninth first-time winner of the year. We've had a lot of breakthroughs on tour this year. And Kwan is actually the first South Korean in 18 years to win an ATP title, which is incredibly impressive. He is the second South Korean man in the open era to win an ATP title. So he's standing with just one other man. That's crazy. Um, And he defeated three seeds en route to the title. He defeated um, Bublik, the second seed, 6-3, 6-4 in the semis. And, I mean, Bublik is a great player. To to see that win, that's that's a good level of tennis. So he's actually currently number 82 and will move above his career high ranking of number 69 with this win. And... Actually, let's talk about our finalists a little bit. Duckworth won a challenger title last week, and he made the round 16 of Rogers Cup earlier this year, so pretty good momentum leading to this final run. And he was the one who took out his compatriot, John Millman, in, I don't remember which round, but he was the one who defeated John Millman at this tournament and dethroned the defending champion. So pretty good stuff from Duckworth, as you were saying. I was actually, I, when you said the score for the final, I... I I was a little shocked for a second because that's like the exact same score of a tennis match I played today. So I was like, oh, wow, Quan and I are like on the same page right now. Um, I thought you were going to say because one of the other finals actually had the same exact score. I think mm. it was, wait, it was Moselle. So you have so three matches now. Me, Herkac, and Quan are really just vibing with the 7663 energy. Um, but we also had an upset pretty early in this tournament. Aslan Karatsev, who's kind of been like, I don't know what's going on with him since like that Australia and ATP 500 success um, and that Belgrade final. Um, but he was defeated in the second round after a bye, so it was really his first match by our bestie, Emil Rusevori. Little anecdote, last year when Emil reached like the semis or the final of Nur Sultan, the same tournament, we actually posted about him 
on our Instagram story, oh like our podcast Instagram story, and he <laughs> saw it and he like hearted it, and that like made Josephina's week. Yeah. Um, Year, but sad. Yes, but sadly, Emil lost to Ilya Ivashka in three sets in the quarterfinals and Ivashka is an on fire player like we saw him do really well um the past few months I would say throughout kind of all surfaces Mm -hmm. so he's also someone who's like really not talked about enough but has been playing some really good tennis this year Let's move on to the WTA, which we love talking about. We had a WTA 500 event, which was the Ostrava Open. Ostrava with three exclamation points because that's how they have it written on their courts, which I think is really funny. Um, Their defending champion was Irina Sabalenka. I'm not sure if she even played in the tournament. I don't think so. I don't don't think think she played. But we had in the final, final of favorites, actually, Annette Contivate defeating Maria Sakari 6-2-7-5. So this is actually Annette getting revenge to her loss in straight sets to Sakari in Madrid earlier this year. And she has won, Annette, I mean, two of her last three events. So she won Cleveland just before the U.S. Open. Obviously, they didn't win the U.S. Open. And now won in Ostrava for her third career title. And she did so in pretty dominating form because this girl did not drop a set the entire tournament, which seems to be becoming some sort of trend for WTA players. Um, And she played, like, high-quality opponents. Serana Cristea, Paula Bedosa, Belinda Bencic, Petra Kvitova, and then, of course, Maria Sakkari um, in the in the final. Yeah, so Annette defeated Petra Kvitova, the second seed, 6-0-6-4 in the semifinals, and then Maria um, Sakkari defeated Sviatek, the first seed, 6-4-7-5. So we actually had the first and second seeds in the semis, and then they were knocked out by our eventual finalists, and Annette said about it quite accurately, it was such a good week for me. Yeah. As far as Maria, though, I mean, we've been talking about her this season. I'm trying to remember if we were talking about her last year. No, early 2020, for sure, we were talking about her. Yeah, I feel like that all that fitness stuff she did during AO quarantine, not complaining a bit, has really paid off for her because, oh my gosh, AO quarantine was so long ago. Wait, um, that's what? I, th- I said last year and I meant this year. <laughs> that's oh my exactly. Gosh. Oh, God. So, I mean, Maria, like, Roland Garros and U.S. Open semifinals, two totally different surfaces and having success on both. Um, you know, defeating Iga so quickly um, and just making it to the finals here in such good form but obviously nothing to be ashamed of Annette was just a better player she was really doing pretty well this week and as far as rankings Contivate will be jumping up to number 23 and Maria Sakari is making her top 10 debut at number 10 which is her career high Um, and pretty awesome for Greece as they now have a top 10 player um, both in the ATP and in the WTA. And as far as other ranking jumps within the WTA, in the top 10, we've got Iga Swiatek jumping to number four. Um, but her 2020 French Open points will be dropping soon because of the weird thing with the ranking system and the scheduling. So we expect for her ranking to be dropping pretty soon, unfortunately. And then finally, we have the Moselle Open, an ATP 250 event held in Metz, France. So the defending champion was actually Joe Wilfred Sanga, but it wasn't held in 2020, so he actually won in 2019. But our final here was Hubert Hurkacz defeating Pablo Carreño Busta, 7-6, 6-3. Once again, we have that score. And finally, 
our predicted U.S. Open finalist is back. So this is his third title of just 2021, and now he's four out of four in tour finals. I'm sorry, but Felix could never. Um, Yeah, so he's proving, honestly, to be a phenomenal hardcore player. I mean, because his other titles were Delray Beach and Miami Masters. So, I mean, I expected more of him at the U.S. Open, but... Uh, Seppi got through. Um, yeah, so in mid-August, Pablo Carreño Busta actually defeated Hubert at the Cincinnati Masters in the round of 16. And also PCB, the finalist, defeated Gael Malfis in the semis. So yeah, and Hubert was on fire because he actually also captured the doubles title with his countryman Jan Zielinski, which is great. Yeah, and a little, you know, side note here, Hubie defeated Peter Goyovchik 6-4-7-6 in the semis, and let's talk about Peter a bit, he's like our Ilya Vashka of this tournament, you know, made it to the round of 16 at the US Open after coming through qualifying, and made now backed it up with semis in Moselle after playing through qualifying, so he's another person who's under the radar, but doing very well, and, you know, really coming through with some good form, and of course, Andy Murray, who's like, there were so many pictures all over tennis Twitter of him kind of traveling around the trains going from you know traveling to Moselle for this tournament a bunch of fans took like paparazzi type photos of him like pack like wheeling his bag to the train station or like selfies with him it was adorable to see him traveling kind of on his own on the train I thought that was really kind of a nice behind the scenes but he had some big wins defeating Ugo Umber and Vashik Pospisil um obviously two very top-notch players and he was also moving really well, which is so great to see because of his metal hips, of course. And he ended up losing to Hercotch. No shame in that. Mm-hmm. But he's been commenting more and more that he's starting to feel really a lot better in the groove in terms of competing and playing against these top players. So I think overall, kind of similar to what we were saying about Federer, it's just great to see that these guys are showcasing a positive mentality and confidence. Um, in terms of being at this top level again, because of course everyone wants to see them continue to play and they're making smart decisions. So um, I do hope that we'll continue to see more of them doing well. Yes. And okay, finally, the one we've all been waiting for, kind of, not really, the Labor Cup. So we had, oh my God, this is the biggest surprise ever. Team Europe defeated Team World. I know, I didn't even believe it either they defeated them oh my god I don't even want to say the score but they defeated team world 14 to 1 and actually you need 13 points to win so Rublev and Zverev actually won the quote deciding doubles match to get to 14 so Um, lame yeah I don't even know what to say but okay we only love the Labor Cup for one reason, and it has nothing to do with tennis, actually. It's the pre-tournament glam shots. Literally. I mean, those are just iconic. I live on those for the rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, to put it in very frank terms, I think Josephine and I can both agree. Correct me if I'm wrong. No. Labor Cup served boring this year. 
Like, it was really boring. Like, the pre-tournament photo shoots were amazing. We were kind of both fangirling over them. Like, ATP players in suits is the content we knew we needed. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were happy to get it. But it was so one-sided. Like, it's kind of funny that the fact that the Labor Cup without the big three would be the most one-sided yet for Team Europe. But it was not interesting. It also sucks that you're having Zverev play there after, you know, the fact that an incident happened at your own tournament two years ago. Um, And it was just you know like no interesting competition um we will highlight a few you know impressive performances or clutch matches from certain players i think on the first day matteo berrettini had a really good friend over his really good friend a really good win over his good friend faa six seven seven five ten eight and he actually discussed how in his press conferences not only is he really looking forward to come back in labor cup hopefully um in 2022 um, but he also said that he was treating his matches here just like he was treating like his matches at the U.S. Open. So I think that's probably like the best way to sum up the mentality of like being in a star-studded exhibition event like this. Because for these guys, it's also a great opportunity to be playing against the best in the world and getting that practice. Um, but we also had a couple other, uh, a duo of Russians who did really well at the Labor Cup. Yeah, so we had Andrei Rublev, who actually is a very good doubles player. I mean, he got the Olympic mixed doubles gold medal, so that must say something if his results don't. And he had tight wins over Kyrgios and um, Isner with Stefano Tsitsipas, and he beat Opelka and Shapovalov with Zverev. So he actually also had a really good singles win versus Diego, 4-6-6-3-11-9. So you could see how close that was. They had to do the one-by-two thing. But, um, yeah, some really great tennis from him. And, like we were saying, fellow Russian, Demil, Daniel, oh my god, Daniel Medvedev, I swear, I'm his biggest fan. Maybe not, because I can't pronounce his name. And he did not break a sweat. I mean, he whooped Shapo's butt 6 4 6 0. And Shapovalov is playing like really great tennis right now. So Daniil Medvedev is just playing the better tennis, I guess. So Dennis, <laughs> a funny thing is that Dennis started laughing after match point because Daniil hit some like crazy forehand while squatting and like falling to the ground while hitting it, which is just so cathartic for Danielle. It's just all his shots are just crazy. <coughs> oh my god. And actually, that was the only match we he played. They probably just said, uh, you're way too good for this tournament. We can't have you like destroying everybody. Yeah, this is why so like our lot I I mean Danielle's continuing to, you know, prove his he's doing you know obviously really on top of the tour right now i'm hoping he has a super successful indoor season like he did last year um because he does have quite a few points to defend at both paris and the nato atp finals but aside from that the fourth player we want to talk about is alexander zverev um he also won two matches lost one so one was a tight singles match versus john isner and then he went one and one in doubles but you know Let's talk a little bit about, the, again, sort of the allegations against him in the context of Labor Cup. Because as we've been saying this whole time, the Geneva Labor Cup was literally where Olya Sharapova said that one of his worst attacks happened. 
Um, you can read into more detail about that in the articles themselves. But the fact that the Labor Cup didn't care at all continued to promote Zverev, even scheduling the final day matches so that it was obvious that he'd be the one carrying home the win for Team Europe because of his the doubles match was first or the singles match was first and the doubles match was second. Like that was just disgusting to see to me and we did actually it's important to note that renowned tennis commentator Mary Carrillo actually resigned from working at the Labor Cup this year after seeing Queen. you know the tournament's oh handling of the Zverev allegations. So it's not just it's a lot of people have noticed this and I think the worst part of it all is okay, you said this before like they're not tied to the ATP tour. They're kind of a promotion event, and they're continuing to choose to promote Zverev, um, even though they don't have really any sort of specific bond to that. And again, because the Labor Cup is literally the tournament that Sharapova said that those events happened at. Yeah, so, like, just overall, our big thing is that we feel that the Labor Cup would be so much more interesting if it included women, too. Because then, honestly, if you had more people on the team, you could kind of kick Zverev to the side <laughs> and replace him with someone that is so, so, so much better. And, like, it really would balance out between Europe and Team World. Because, like, Ashley Barty, Naomi Osaka, Leila Fernandez, Bianca Andreescu, I mean, even Serena Williams... It would be on Team World, which is crazy to think that so many of these, like, top-notch, like, women, female players are actually would be playing for Team World. So why not include the women? I mean, so much entertainment value, plus it would expand the countries included, and also mixed doubles. Mixed doubles is so fun to watch. I cannot even explain. Like, did you notice yeah. how people were talking more about Andre Rublev's and, uh, Pav's um, mixed doubles win versus singles because it was so much more heartwarming for some reason. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, especially since the Hopman Cup is gone, there needs to be some sort of, like, joint ATP-WTA team event that even if it's not Labor Cup, something else because, obviously, the Labor Cup is doing its own little thing right now. And, honestly, they still have no reason not to include women. And especially since the tourists said they want to partner more. Like, it doesn't even have to count for points just like the Labor Cup does. Like, just a nice, fun exhibition event that, like, kind of revolves around the world and changes locations every year. It can be really fun. Yeah. I mean, we'll put it together if you want us to. <laughs> I know you want us to, but, like, you know, we're offering ourselves anyway. Yeah. All right. So a little bit of kind of a break from, like, a change in pace from U.S. Open tennis that we had this past week. Um, but we hope we caught you up on some of the hot headlines. I'm personally looking forward to hopefully getting to try Rafael Nadal's restaurant because – that's Please, so cool we need to go like that needs I feel to happen like, yeah and i mean i'm honestly really happy labor cup is over because it was really boring this year i didn't even like i saw the scores and i was like oh that happened i was like i forgot yeah i was so disconnected from it but um we do have 
the indoor season continuing a lot of fun stuff happens during the indoor season obviously with the tour finals at the end but we also have indian wells the masters 1000 tournament coming up in about a week so um keep an eye out for that that's going to be fun because obviously it's been rescheduled this is not the usual time for indian wells um but we are going to be sort of wrapping up the season with some big tournaments on their way Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage for the rest of the season, and of course, all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions, and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore Tennis Pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released as the indoor season continues and as the Indian Wells Masters approaches. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time.